0: Okay, Today I'm with uh, Dr Elizabeth Barry from the University of Warwick's Department of English and Comparative Literary Studies and amongst her many talents is the fact that she's an expert on Samuel Beckett. Uh, I am only a mere theatre-goer who have only only seen about three Beckett plays and I'm hoping at the very least by end of this interview uh, Dr Barry will explain to me what the heck it was I saw. (laughs) So the reason we're talking today is it's, it's 2006, it's the 100th year anniversary of Beckett's birth. Many people realise that Beckett came from a, a, a tradition in, uh, in Ireland and actually was almost a disciple of James Joyce to begin with. He was his secretary, if I remember correctly. He had very close associations with his family. Does any of that Joycean contact survive into Beckett's work?
1: Famously, Beckett said that Joyce, whereas Joyce was working with omnipotence or in an omnipotent mode, um, he was working with impotence. So he Joyce was definitely felt to be the master, I think, in in all sorts of respects for Beckett, but he also chose a very different path um, from Joyce. You know, Joyce's omnipotence expressed in the way in which he brings in so much, you know, wealth of detail, a kind of encyclopedic method in a a, um, novel like Ulysses, you know, perhaps in some ways even more so in Finnegan's Mm. Wake, um, whereas Beckett sees himself as... Contracting, finding uh, the perhaps um, the essence of Experience and, in a sense, expressing the kind of failure of language to do justice to that experience. So, so they went in very, you know, he went in a very different direction from do Joyce.
0: Think, do you think that shaped his direction? I, I find it very interesting you said because he was Joyce's secretary, particularly mm. at the time of Finnegan's Wake. Mm. And Finnegan's Wake is a book that frightens mm. me, I must yes. say. I keep picking it off my bookshelf, keep putting it down in a hurry. Did that experience, you think, push Beckett into the path of looking at more the the, the, the minutiae, the, the more controlled? Old, the more contracted
1: yeah I mean if you look at Beckett's development his early fiction uh, it's not quite Finnegan's Wake but but it's full of allusion and quotation and play in, in different languages mm. you know, it has a Joycean quality in it and and. Uh, almost an exuberance, a surprising exuberance uh, that that we can see is very closely connected to Joyce's work in some ways. And but then he starts, he turns, and hmm. he starts to to pare that away. You know, the illusion is still there, but it's in a much more c- contracted, fragmented fashion. And and I think that he was interested in the idea of the formal. Experiment and the formal play that Joyce makes there, and he's interested in the texture of language, and even in his latest plays, you have, and 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 prose works, you have a flicker of idiomatic language, a flavour of quotation, um, perhaps a kind of play on words um, that that might recall Joyce, but he is moving, you know, as I said, in moving in a very different direction, and feeling that perhaps language isn't isn't adequate to mm. what he wants to say. He talks about uh uh talked at one point about a language as a kind of stain upon the silence. Um there's almost a purgatorial aspect to what he does. You know, he feels that language that speaking and misrepresenting the world is, is almost analogous to a kind of sinning. Ah. Uh, in that sense, he turns away from Joyce in quite a, um, in an extreme it doesn't, fashion. doesn't he
0: later <laughs> talk about when, because much of his, his work later is written in, in French originally, mm. and don't I remember him saying something about that he wrote in French because it, it was easier to write without style then? Does Indeed, that, does that yes. fit in with this sort of belief?
1: Absolutely. I mean, he wants to. Prevents all of the associations, all of the quotations that the the riches of the literary heritage that he has that are shaking around in his head when he tries to write in his own way. He he does want, in a sense, to silence those those echoes and and write work. With the words and the thing, rather than with this kind of host of cultural associations and and authorities that well, that's, that's are, such, I, I think I, think I, I
0: understand that yeah. that quotation from him a bit more now because yeah. I always thought what's he saying? He can't really believe that French stops you writing without yeah. style. So
1: I think exile was an imaginative condition for him as well as a real situation. You know, when he moves to France, mm. and he's interested in writing in a language that I think isn't his own, partly. Um, as I've suggested, because his own language has associations that he perhaps um, not only stimmy him and, and, and make him self-conscious, perhaps creatively, but also he felt alienated from the kind of religious, you know, his English is saturated in religious language, that he has a very ambivalent relationship hmm. with. He's, re- he's fleeing, in some sense, from what he saw as the repressive environment. So he's still got Irish lots of cultural baggage. <laughs> Indeed, so it's just expressed in a kind of negative way. I think. So exactly he failed, right. are you saying, that he, he <laughs> exactly wanted
0: to try right. and avoid that baggage, but yeah. he actually does have yeah. It. Yeah. But yeah. it. But he's
1: also interested, I think, in that, in feeling like an exile and exploring the idea that language isn't natural um, and has a, has a sort of very, perhaps, uh, a, a relationship with the world which um, one must be conscious is... Is artificial in some way, or that that might mm. lead you into traps and um, into missaying. One you know, yeah. of his favorite favorite expressions. <laughs>
0: Indeed, he he is famously terse and famously precise in the instructions he gives in for all of his works. But I'm interested in, in this suggestion that you have that there was some baggage he couldn't mm-hmm. avoid. It. Any particular works where that where that crops up most?
1: He. Lot I think lots of this phrasing comes back when he translates um, from French back into, back into English. English right. um, so, which is you know, which is so many of his works as you mm, said, indeed. you know, from from Godot onwards. Um, a, a work like How It Is, which is quite a spare prose work, um, there are lots of phrases in uh, in the English that that have a, a kind of biblical sense that um, and or connotation that that aren't there in the um, the French. Um, he talks about things that passeth understanding, hmm. is one example. It, it, nothing much is made of these moments, but but you can tell that the the authorised version is, you know, is the Bible is is very much sort of resonating in his head yeah, when he when he right. writes in English, um you know almost irresistibly. So it's
0: interesting. So the French really did help him escape from that, but he just comes screaming back mm-hmm. to it again when he translates back to the to the English and even Beckett couldn't couldn't Absolutely. avoid these, these forms. The uh, uh, let's talk about him going to France. Well, it was a very, very strange time to go to France, an almost cantankerous mm-hmm. way of going to France. I'll wait till France is at war with somebody. And I think he famously says, doesn't he, um France at war is better than Ireland at peace. <laughs> did, did he, was he joking? Does joke? Did he really mean that?
1: Well, I mean, I think that was that was facetious in, in the way that he meant. You know, there was an element of, of facetiousness in the way there often is in his his hmm. comments, um, particularly to journalists. France wasn't so far away from him culturally. I mean, he'd been he'd learned French from a very early age. Um, he'd been to a, a kindergarten run. Um, or a, a primary school run by a Frenchman and, and it was something that was familiar to him he'd studied modern languages but it was also to do with his relationship to uh, Ireland the Irish Republic you know that and what he found was he found to be um, a, a quite repressive circumstances there in terms of censorship in terms of a kind of what he saw as a sort of too close connection between church and state there the new power that the catholics had in ireland that that he as an anglo-irish protestant sort of felt uncomfortable with but it was much more in terms of the kind of moral tenor of the of the government in, in his eyes hmm. than than anything else and in terms of the war as you say I mean it's a it's an odd moment to um pitch up there and his own involvement with the French resistance you know he he became he was very involved with France but he called it he he was very dismissive he called it boy scout stuff (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and it's hard I think to put your finger on that motivation you know what it it didn't um it's usually talked about in terms of a kind of negative relationship to Ireland, rather mm. than a positive relation to France, to France, relationship to France and French culture. Um, but he certainly found Paris very convivial. He had very close friends mm. there. You know, he was um, with already with his and partner Suzanne.
0: Woman, of course, are, yes, indeed. So, <laughs> um, but, but let's look at that French for just a moment. He is famously disparaging about his involvement. You do, mm. as you say, he does have this Boy Scout thing where he, he just sweeps it all side. It's not the only time he's disparaging about himself. There's lots of autobiographical moments in the plays where he seems to be very disparaging about himself and in Crap's last Tip yeah. in particular where, where I may be getting it wrong, yeah. I'm not the expert, yeah. but he seems to be talking about himself as references back to, oh, that fool from 30 years ago mm. uh, oh, I saw it all when I stood on that jetty and uh, it was all revealed to me and now I'm at the end, I mm. don't know what I'm doing mm. and it was all for nothing is, 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 am, am I misreading that or is that—is that Beckett again in the plays projecting his own own view of himself?
1: Oh. I think it is established that he in Kra's last tape he does dramatize a sort of moment of an epiphany in some sense to use a joycean word um but a moment where he embraced his folly was he mm. calls it his folly uh that he and, and and doesn't is doesn't isn't any more explicit about this. And I think this is seen as a moment where he turns to the much more um pared down writing that he he starts to work with inadequacy and failure mm. as as kind of dramatic and, and creative principles. Um so he dramatizes his his own uh, what he sees as a kind of turning point uh, as an artist there. Um, but as you say, it's not it's not glamorised in any way mm. in the, in um, that play. But there's an element of uh, self-consciousness. I mean, he taught... Crap is a failed mm. writer. Yes. <laughs> His books haven't sold. Sold 11 <laughs> copies, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> so, so I think... Um, it, probably
0: Bob himself. <laughs>
1: indeed. So, so Beckett, you know, already much, much more established than that. So, there's an element of um, he goes too far. Do you think? I think, think is, yeah, so. of exaggeration, yeah. And, and and he's also looking in a sense at the relationship mm-hmm. between create artistic creativity and social relationships and if not even romantic hmm. relationships you know that the, there's a the, lot of that in yeah, crap isn't indeed, it? that really crap romantic, yeah. in a sense chooses the you know not very successfully but chooses the role of artist rather than the, the great love hmm. affair and i think it's dangerous to make a kind of direct leap from there to, to beckett's own life but but he certainly you know those issues are all quite close to
0: Oh. to him presumably You <laughs> used the word folly earlier, it's an interesting word to use because in Beckett's very last work which I was reading earlier uh, his last poem, it's about what is the word mm. and the word that's repeated throughout is folly mm. um, Has he underlined that He thinks that all of his work is folly in that last statement or what? what, what does that poem mean do you think?
1: I think that he's certainly trying folly on for size. You know, right. if, if, if there's one word to, <laughs> to sum up his, you know, anyone's artistic endeavours, you know, he's that might be close to what he thinks right. thinks they are. He thinks it's all folly. Oh, uh, certainly, but the, equally that that isn't. that's never successfully established that that's the word. You know, so many yeah. characters in the, his last works are. Um, searching for the right word you know we, in the plays we have characters under interrogation mm. who are interrogated um, until they produce an utterance but it's never they never produce it and it's never clear what that utterance is mm. and Beck had a dream he talked talks about at one point of ha- of a sort of one new word that he would create <laughs> um <laughs> but i think <clears throat> excuse me there's also a that 's also a dream of some kind of definitive utterance right. that he knows you know he knows the uh, the quest for a definitive utterance is folly right. in itself you know that he can never really finish or complete or say something
0: well, a lot definitive. of the plays are based around folly and and failure mm. and failure mm. to complete we have um uh, you know, crap's last tape he doesn 't actually produce a last tape Indeed. he never finds a last yeah. tape and an end game clove who 's the servant tries to leave, but he 's mm. still standing in the doorway at the end. Um, yeah. And there's an awful lot of people being confined, isn't there? You've got people stuck in dustbins in Endgame. You've got people stuck in urns and play. You've got poor old Winnie stuck in a sand pile, growing around her in uh, yeah. uh, in happy days. Yeah. The uh, is this sense of of stuck in one's life and stuck in uh, and, and confinement. Is uh, is that is that a, a theme which was? Uh, you think Beckett was trying to push for subconsciously or more consciously, or
1: I think I think very consciously. I mean, as you say, that the the, the images are relentless, uh, hmm. almost in the plays of of confinement, the, the figures in play in, hmm. in urns, um, and and it comes up in the fiction as well. This this idea of of entrapment, um, and there are many interpretations of this. Um, people often talk about a kind of death of sexual feeling uh, sexual desire <laughs> oh, that someone like Winnie in Happy days is mm. buried up to the, the waist and, and, and then in the, the neck and earth is, is experiencing um, but she's also sort of sees herself being kind of swallowed by the earth and there is he talks uh, very often and very famously about the idea of the kind of brevity of life or the idea that that uh, the womb and the tomb are very close to one another. Mm. Um, that in a sense you're you're born dying. Um, you know that, <laughs> that, that really, as you're born, you're sort of you know on your way to the tomb, and that, that, that that's. And, and these spaces, I think, often have yeah. that resonance such as well. <laughs> Indeed, so, you know, when he's being sucked back down into the earth into the is, earth. is um, has that resonance. But,
0: but oh, even though these people have such a depressing time, uh, and, it, and it ends in an even more depressing moment usually, it's not like Ibsen where everybody ends up falling, dying, killing themselves. In, in, they curiously cling on to life despite what's going on around them. Like in Godot, as I recall, uh, the, the tramps do say at one point, let's kid ourselves, don't quite get round to it. And Winnie, I think, has the option of shooting herself at one point, doesn't quite get round to it. And mm. um, yeah, it, it's that a thing that people, despite this, you know, well, we're heading to the grave, this depressing view of life, people and all this place seem to cling on to life no matter what.
1: Well, there's often an interpretation which suggests that they're, they're not able to in some way. Mm. Um, that that there are physical reasons preventing them you know know, Winnie ends up sort of being buried up to the neck and can't quite you know can no longer reach the revolver you know if there were a sturdier branch you know would would they do it but i think the suggestion clearly is that they that that there's there's a failure of will as well as a failure of the means uh and, and beckett often in the prose works also talks about the idea of the the spurts that's needed the the burst of energy that might be needed to get you to the point of death so there's Um, there's
0: such an envy that they won't actually even couldn't be asked to kill themselves (laughs) even he
1: he certainly presents it that way um playfully or otherwise um in in a lot of his works but it does also uh i mean it's a strange uh paradox perhaps that, that this lack of will in a sense translates into an, a kind of endurance mm. you know that there isn't that um, there isn't that kind of romantic perhaps uh, the romantic gesture of suicide um, that would be a decisive act that would be taking control of one's existence there's something that's constraining mm. his characters um, and and so often Beckett there's this feeling of constraint um, you know that they're, that they're will is not their own, but there's no clear authority or or power that that is the source of that constraint. Um, and It it is something, I think, that nobody's really resolved in Beckett's work.
0: Will he be remembered in 400 years' time the way Shakespeare is? Because if I look at Shakespeare's plays... I look at Macbeth, and it's endlessly reinvented. I think I've seen Macbeth as a mm. Chicago gangster. I've seen him as a Scottish lord, obviously. Beckett's plays specifically preclude that reinvention. They're stuck in a particular almost time. Can Beckett survive 400 years?
1: To my mind, you know, there are different feelings about Beckett's, um, the strictures that Beckett puts on the production of his plays. I think it, in a sense that would... Um, present problems for for as you say for the life of mm. most playwrights and and most plays. But I I think with Beckett it's very important that um, you know he his own involvement with his productions, the kind of choreography of his productions. You know you see these plays both as as um, or the dialogue in these plays, but also the movement and the gesture in these plays. That that it's a whole piece, mm. that it's a kind of dance as well as being a spoken piece, and so. In a sense that the artistic whole of these plays uh, requires some of those, at least some of those uh, prescriptions to be followed very carefully for the full effect of the theatre to to live on. Uh, and the fact that we have those prescriptions means that Beckett's vision does live on uh, in a very full way. So... I think there are different there are definitely different opinions about um this element or this aspect of hmm. Beckett's work but but one argument is that there's something that the continuity um of of the Beckett play um will will be part of its strength and part of its power in years to come.
0: I quite like Beckett, even though I, I before today I didn't understand half of what he was saying. I quite like him but I'm sort of sort of likes depressing plays like Ibsen and Beckett or whatever. Uh, is the audience beginning to turn off him in any way? Up. Is there a sense that some people are thinking it's Emperor's New Clothes that they are getting bored of it, or is the audience still out there for Beckett? Um,
1: he's one. The first thing I should say that, is that he is. Uh, I would defend him as a very funny writer. <laughs> uh, and uh, I think that the recent um, God, Waiting for Godot at the Barbican mm. with Barry McGovern um, was a very, very... brought out the humour of that piece and was a very funny play, physically funny and verbally funny. And a lot of his theatre has that quality to it. Um, but it is... Some of the late theatre is is uh, quite rebarbative for mm. audiences, I think it's fair to say. And um, there are audiences and there are members of those audiences that are fascinated by it and feel that it has an emotional pull Um, but there are also members of those audiences that have a um, that are turned off by it Um, uh, productions I've been to recently have been been very Hmm. well attended um, but it's it's. A, I think it's a question. Um, that I think there will always be favourite Beckett plays right. and, and plays that are produced more often. And there will always be plays that will be that will be seen by the general public more as intellectual curiosities. Or, but Beckett has fans. You know, he's one of these writers mm. that has fans and devotees. As as well as those with sort of intellectual interests um, in him, and I think that there'll always be a, a kind of loyal following, um, even if they're not filling the um, you know the national theatre or <laughs> um, in the same way sure. as they, they may do. Now. The only
0: play that most people have heard of, um, if you know nothing about Beckett, is of course Wait, Waiting for Godot, even if they haven't seen it. Yet it's a play which is famous here where nothing happens twice. You know, I've I've been to production where half the audience left at the interval because they thought it was over. Mm. You know, I stayed because I knew knew the text. Is Godot a play you would recommend people to go and see if they're dipping their toe into the water of Beckett, or if not, which one would it be?
1: I think Godot is a good place to start. Uh, as I say, I think it, I think it's very funny. I think it has uh, it has enormous resonance, um, and people are fascinated by the the. Uh, the way in which this metaphor has so many um, potential me- meanings, hmm. um, and you know, it's it's been a kind of political metaphor you know, that people on the streets of um, Prague in the in the Velvet Revolution sort of were yeah. chanting "Godo has come," and, <laughs> <laughs> and we know the San Quentin prisoners, you know, found great resonance in this play about waiting and and the uncertainty of of salvation and and so on and it has i think it has resonances for people personal and and more wide wider resonances more political uh has had more resonance in certain political situations Um, but i think that the texture the verbal texture of it is um very rich as well but a play, Endgame, is also a very funny play yeah. um, that might be a good place to to start um, for people. And you know, the Gambon, um, Lee Evans, production recently, I think, um, was well, is a comedian. Translated into he he's, yes. he's becoming, he's becoming a, a Beckett actor like as well. Comedian, and he's, think, is such a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think he, he can communicate some of those things very well. Yeah. Um and happy days is always a kind of compelling. Mm. <laughs> experience, it, is funny. it is bizarrely yeah.
0: funny, isn't yeah. it? Just singing yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. But let us on an almost Beckettian way finish where we began. Uh, we talked about uh, Beckett following on from Joyce. Who follows on from Beckett?
1: Certainly um immediately after uh, immediately after Godot was was first produced in Britain, Pinter was was uh, a very was someone who was very open about his debt to beckett and his love for beckett stoppard um very again um is very open about his debt to beckett in a play like rosencrantz and Guildenstern Mm. the dead that people um may know more recently um there are perhaps an irish play like like Marina Carr, that some of the texture of her language and okay. some of the kinds of scenarios also have a Beckettian resonance to them. Um, but I think he's there's no there's no um, Beckett school. I no. think um, that people take playwrights have taken sort of different things from Beckett, but he's certainly I think he's changed the nature of theatrical dialogue, um, and he's also um, his theatre is very suggestive in terms of a kind of central striking visual image. Um, Sarah Kane might be a um, mm. someone who learns from him in this respect, um, and a symbol that perhaps uh, was once uh, meaningful but is now perhaps emptied. You know, Kane um, in her play Blasted has a character make a cross mm. out of some furniture in that play, but but also sort of empties out the process of praying, the idea of the kind of ceremony of religion in a way that, that I think is one of the things that she takes mm. from Beckett there.
0: So Beckett has a heritage and, and will live on and hopefully in 400 years' time people will be talking about him.
1: I think so. I think that's, yeah, um, that's clear.
0: <laughs> Thank you. If you want to comment on what you've heard or want to listen to any other of the podcasts made by the university academic staff, please visit our webpage on www warwick.ac.uk.